You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. Hey, what's up, everyone? I'm Matt Migaki, the vocalist of Cryptopsy and the host of the Vox and Hops Metal Podcast, where I sit down with fellow metal musicians. We talk all about their lives and music while sharing killer craft beers. If you've ever wanted to sneak backstage and share a beer with one of your favorite musicians, well, Vox and Hops is the podcast for you. This week on the podcast, I had an amazing conversation with Morgan Lander and S.J. Jones about Kitty Pig. There is this episode and over 450 other ones to help you enjoy life, metal, and craft beer. So what are you waiting for? It's time to become a Vox and Hops head. Cheers! Another episode of the X-Man Podcast. I'm your host, Doc Coyle. Thank you, as always, for checking out the program. Hope everyone's doing all right, having a uh, a good time. It's very, for for California, very cold and rainy and windy, a little nasty. So uh, I know it's been really bad in a lot of other places with the snow and the cold. So, you know, we can't really complain, but I'm going to just let you know how it's been. Got the heat pumping over here, but... I want to talk about something kind of important in my monologue and it pertains to the subject matter of race. So it's a little, I don't know. It's a, it's a sensitive subject. So, and it's probably going to be kind of long. So I'll tell people if you, if you don't want to hear something like this, that's in the, the racial, political, social sphere, and you just want to get to the more music based interview stuff just just fast forward i'd say like like you know 15 20 minutes and you'll be fine uh i don't want to put people off but you know it's my show and i i gotta do what i gotta do and if something's on my mind i have to speak about it or i feel it it's my my right given that it's my mother fucking show <laughs> uh so brace yourselves anyway uh I saw something, and you know, if you follow me on Twitter, maybe you've seen me do some commentary about it. But uh, a guy named Scott Adams, who is well known for creating the comic strip Dilbert, which is really famous, and he's made a lot of money from that. He's uh, written a lot of books. I actually bought one of his books years ago um, because he kind of got famous uh, in the political sphere. Uh, before Donald Trump got elected because he predicted that Trump would win. And at the time, I didn't really realize he was a Trump supporter. I just thought he was this smart guy who kind of saw some things that uh, some other people didn't see. And in any way, and then after Trump won, he kind of came out pretty as a very big Trump supporter, uh, which, you know, directed some just made him a very controversial figure. I'll put, I'll put it that way. I've even gotten into it with him on Twitter about some things I didn't really agree with. But essentially, he made some remarks on his his podcast or YouTube show or whatever pertaining to race in America. Before even commenting on it, I'm just going to play it right here and you can draw your own conclusions. 
this is the first political poll that ever changed my activities. I don't know that that's ever happened before. You know, normally you see a poll, you just look at it, and you go, ah, whatever. <laughs> you know, oh, this is interesting what other people think. But as of today, I'm going to re-identify as white because I don't want to be a member of a hate group. I'd accidentally joined a hate group. So if, if you know, nearly half of all blacks uh, are not okay with white people, according to this poll, not according to me, according to this poll, uh, that's a hate group. That's a hate group. And I don't want to have anything to do with them. And I would say, you know, based on the current way things are going, the best advice I would give to white people is to get the hell away from black people. Just get the fuck away. Wherever you have to go, just get away. Because there's no fixing this. This can't be fixed. Right? This can't be fixed. You just have to escape. So that's what I did. I went to a neighborhood where you know I have a very low black population, because unfortunately the you know there's a high correlation between the density. And this is according to Don Lemon, by the way. Um, so here I'm just quoting Don Lemon when when he notes that the when he lived in a uh, mostly black neighborhood, there were a bunch of problems that he didn't see in white neighborhoods. So even Don Lemon sees a big difference in your own quality of living based on where you live and who's there. So I I think it makes no sense whatsoever as a uh, white citizen of America to try to help black citizens anymore. It doesn't make sense. It's no longer a rational impulse. And so I'm going to back off from being helpful to black America. So there you have it. Uh, I don't know what that makes you feel like as someone who may, maybe has or or hasn't listened to that. But for me, it kind of marked a, a definitive turning point in, in race relations where someone like that felt uh, safe enough kind of in the discourse that he could just say that, stay away from black people blatantly. And the, so, so, so to kind of uh, give some background on that, I guess he read a Rasmussen poll, which um, asked, I guess, a question uh, to some black people, like a thousand people, um, you know, if they had a problem with white people, something, some, something like that, or, or, you know, something alluding to that. And I think like 25% said yes, some, another 20% said they weren't sure. Um, and from that one poll, <laughs> uh, according to Scott Adams, he he his determination was st- if you're white, stay away from black people. Even though, in the, in that same tirade, he said he had already moved to a place without with very little black people or no black people because of getting away from the problem. So clearly, this poll didn't shift his mood. Uh, <laughs> And so it was something that was obviously something he was already dealing with. And there's some things in there that you might, uh, if you don't have any background or context, he said, I'm identifying as white. He, he supposedly was identifying as black for X amount of time for, I don't know, some satirical reason. It's, it seems to me, um, 
but but how kind of blatant and open that is and to me that is textbook racism of a kind of in some ways it's kind of old school uh and old school you know when i think about maybe the late 60s going into the early 70s when you started after the you know the voting rights act and the, the civil rights act that a lot of jim crow rules were being undone and you started to have kind of forced integration in, in schooling. You had a, a kind of civilized uh, mentality around that being, well, it's not that I dislike black people. I want bad things to happen, uh, happen to them. I just think we're better. We function better apart from each other. And and so, so, so some ways it's like this... Um, polite buttoned up type of old school racism uh and to to someone like scott adams what, what's what is so kind of scary about it to me is how analytical it is it's like he didn't get there it's like i didn't get there from a place of hate i i did the calculations i did the, the arithmetic and this seems to be the most optimal course for someone like myself and i recommend people like myself uh take take those steps and if you were to ask him he probably would tell you he isn't racist i'm not racist it's just i have to stay away from them because they don't like me right and that's an that's an interesting idea because because of that i've seen people go oh well he's just telling the truth um which in many ways is is probably the most justified excuse for being racist or making and and to me the, this racism here is making broad generalizations and going okay that's that's how they all are and i think we've we've broken down somewhere in how we decide what's racist because no one it's it seems like the most racist people <laughs> don't think they're racist which is which is the is fascinating it's like this this blind spot i'm going to play something else um it's from a video it's actually 2 years old but i just saw it on twitter like yesterday and this uh it was a youtube channel called cut i don't know if it's like part of a broader media source uh but they asked a bunch of black people uh what white people are superior at so i'm gonna play that what are white people superior at yeah fearful of nothing being ignorant blame letting their egos control their every move privilege privilege killing victimized playing the victim congratulating themselves over that they're incompetent at <laughs> or that should have already been done they're superior at being what exactly are white people superior at? Oppression. Gaslighting. Lack of empathy. Intellectualizing oppression. Did I say oppression? They're just creatively thinking of new ways of like always staying one step ahead of other people. If we get rid of slave catchers, then let's just expand the police force. So there you kind of have, in my opinion, almost the opposite coin from the previous audio I played. And 
so that video actually, I guess it went viral a couple years ago and, you know, received a lot of pushback on, you know, and, and a lot of people, I think rightfully calling that racist. Uh, but it was, you know, a big thrust from kind of right wing sources because they kind of feed off of that. But I do think those sentiments, which, you know, in light of Black Lives Matter, George Floyd, and, you know, going all the way back to Trayvon Martin and all the police shootings and all the, the kind of conversation around race, uh, has inspired that type of rhetoric and, you know, which, which bleeds into the conversation around, you know, critical race theory and all this stuff. And I actually do think one thing inspires the other, right? So if you went and spoke to those black people, make that comment, that, that commentary, they will give you a reason. They'll go, well, I'm just telling the truth because of, slavery and Jim Crow and discrimination, right? Like everyone has a truth they can go to or a story that is based in fact that can go, well, this is why I can paint a broad brush about an entire group of people because I have these facts. And then so one thing responds to the other, right? And, and, I, and it has made our conversation around race broken. We cannot have a conversation this way. If you come to someone and you're like, you're a piece of shit and all your people are a piece of shit, they're not going to, yes, you will get a certain amount of white guilt um, and liberal mindset that, it, that understands that truth, understands that history and wants to... Uh, try and fix that to the best of their ability because everyone's not going to want to hear that. Right? So what do you do with the people that aren't trying to hear that? All it does is it creates that other thing we just heard. And I'm not saying that motherfucker's justified because he's not fuck Scott Adams. Cause you know what? I think that dude has been racist for a long time, but in both their minds, they both all those people will tell you they're not racist, right? Because the black people in that, and I'm not saying those black people represent all black people. I actually don't think that's the case. Not even close. Um, but I think all this, you know, from a certain type of, uh, you know, educational field and study, it's that, well, black people can't be racist because of oppressive systems. And I think that's fucking bullshit. If you say all this entire group of people are bad because of this and it pertains to their skin color or their, you know, their religion or how tall they are or what, or what care color, any, anything like that is bigotry and it's wrong. And so Scott Adams and these people that think that way, and guess what? A lot of people back up the Scott Adams view too. Elon Musk went and defended this dude. Which tells you, look how far apart you are. You can't, you know, and Scott Adams' whole point was, we're, we're done. We're, I'm just, I just can't deal with these people anymore. We're going to opt out. And so you think about all this progress we've made, but then you have a bunch of people, and, I, and I've, I've thought this about, you know, what was called re- kind of regressive leftism, which is kind of morphed into what we think about uh, the woke 
culture movement, which I hate that fucking word because now it's just, it just, it gets overused so much, it just means nothing. But something that has essentially, that if you're so ingrained in that mindset, you, it is regressive. It's black people who don't believe in race mixing or integration, right? That's going backwards. And, uh, you know, and, and to me, both of these mindsets, it, these people will tell you they're not racist. Like, how can you be blind to that? The, you know, the most, and, and we have to be able to call out both, you know, and I'm, and by the way, and I didn't bring up that second video just to like, see, it's the same. Everyone's the same. They did it. They did it. I'm in the center. Look how. <laughs> Look, 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 look at how reasonable I am. I didn't, I didn't do that for that. I actually was just going to talk about the Scott Adams video, but you got to talk about the other thing. Um, and we got to figure out a way, you know, and I don't, I don't, it's, it's like a, uh, I guess it's a, it's a stalemate to some degree. And I don't, and by the way, I don't think most people are like any of those because I think you could put people on, uh, you know, that, that video, you know, where they're literally cutting it up and they're taking one little snippet. And I guarantee you there's a lot more nuance there. And maybe those people were primed to say that and probably have plenty of friends and family that, you know, are white and enjoy that. But you're, they're kind of put to that point to get an extreme answer. Um, and you know, that's not my experience. You know, I've, I've lived in New Jersey. I've worked in New York, spent a lot of time there. LA really mixed environments and you know, I, I, I really don't think most people like this. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm a little too optimistic. Um, but at least the conversation that exists in these media spaces, uh, is really broken, you know, but we need to, if we can't call what Scott Adams said, stay, just stay away from black people, all of them. If we can't call that racist, then the term doesn't mean anything. And I think that's in many ways the problem with these, these terms, be it racist or woke or Nazi or fascist, like it gets overused so much. It's like the boy who cried wolf where they're meaningless. And so when someone is can credibly be assigned that tag, uh, it just gets kind of, as they say, throw the baby out with the bathwater. And, uh, and same thing, you know, that other video, like if you're a liberal or if you're black and you go, well, they're, they're, they're not racist because I'm like, yes, it is. It just is. Once you say all these people are this, and here's these negative things, it's just, it's a negative stereotype. And you can say, oh, well, that stereotype is based in fact. Most stereotypes are based in fact. Or some people have gathered a bunch of knowledge and they, you know, and they go, oh, well, it tends to be this, these, you know, these group of people tend to be good at this or bad at this or have this, you know, uh, trait, you know, doesn't, it doesn't mean that we should lean into that or, or use that to go, okay, well, I'm going to think stereotypically because I'm too stupid or lazy to do otherwise. And we got to, we, we have to call it, we got to be better, you know? So anyway, that was my rant. 
<laughs> pretty long 20 minutes all right uh we have a sponsor this week let me let me look look at the sponsor it's a band called in the whale and they've been on the show before they're a really awesome band uh we're gonna play a new song from them entitled plane crash enjoy
So that was In the Whale. And like a whale, you know, like Moby Dick, W-H-A-L-E, with their brand new single, Plane Crash. And that is badass as usual, man. They're, they're a really, 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 really good band. I really enjoyed that. And that single is from their unreleased upcoming full-length album. They didn't did not include the title. I'm sure it's going to be something cool. Maybe it's self-titled. You never know. And that was produced by the great Nick Raskulinitz. You know him from doing like Deftones and Alice in Chains and Trivium and Death Angel. Great producer. Really cool guy too. Never met him, but I've I've corresponded uh, with him. And uh, or was it his assistant? I can't remember. But yeah, if you want to get more info on the band, tour dates, merch, go to their website www.inthewhalecult.com and I was looking at them up on Spotify I guess on streaming in the whales like one word so if you're looking it up that might help you uh thank you to them for sponsoring the show if you'd like to sponsor the show get up in the DMs or just shoot me an email at the X-Men podcast at gmail.com remember that is EX all right with the business out the way Quick intro for our guest, uh, Mr. Alex Lopez. I've known this guy for a long time. You know him from bands like Suicide Silence. Recently, he's been on tour playing drums with These Nuts and P.O.D. He's just a great guy. You know what? Might have to anoint him into uh, you know the, the, the X-Men Hall of Fame of scene legends. All right? I think I think he might have to be in, be in that, that group, but... Great guy. Uh, so glad he he took the time. We actually did this in person, which is nice. Haven't been doing a lot of in-person ones, but when I can do them, I really appreciate it. So great drummer, great dude. You know him, you love him. No need for introduction. Please enjoy this conversation with the incredible Mr. Alex Lopez. So, so you walked in here. We were we were kind of talking about what you were you were up to. That you were too busy. You're yeah, too. Yeah. too um, well, right now I'm making sure that I'm not too busy um, to balance out everything. But yeah, like last year, uh, I think it was like January or February, and I was just like, I need a, I need a, like, I need a job. Fuck. Okay. Well, now, <laughs> like, I I was so used to like having a job, but we were never getting work to like not now it's like oh i can actually do my own thing so i was able to like oh i can do more artwork i can do um i have a lot of friends around la and orange county that do like uh shows they do gigs like outdoor festivals beer festivals food festivals all over san diego so they all do like staging companies and they book shows local restaurants and bars so like there's always like something to do i just have to like literally tell like my dudes like hey if you need anything let me know yeah. And I'll do anything. Like I'll go from like rolling wires to doing sound at a at a gig. So care. it's yeah. I don't care. You're yeah. just trying to work. Inner Mexican, dude. <laughs> I'll fucking stand outside of Home Depot right now if I have to. <laughs> no excuses. <laughs> I'm here I'm here to do the work. Well, I mean, it's uh it's an interesting thing cuz I I think gentlemen like yourself in in a, in a way is the reason why the show exists and why I got the idea to to do the show cuz it's true. all about these transitions and that that time after, because you kind of learn, I don't know, I guess a bit who you are. You have to figure out what you want, you know, um, and uh, and it's not always easy, right? There's a there's a lot of 
ups and downs and yeah, emotions yeah. that that come come along with that. Um, but re- recently, you've been playing with Pod, right? Pod, yeah. How did that come about? Whew. Oh, good story actually. Um, so this was I must have been around 2000, and the initial introduction it must have been around 2013 or 14. This is freshly after Mitch passed away, and uh, at some point I like I found Marcos, the guitar player, Marcos. I just saw his like social media, and I'm like, oh, like I like to follow all my like, especially if you're like SoCal dudes, like whether you're a pro skater, um, a musician anything like as long as it's like oh like i can i can fuck with this person plus who who isn't heard of pod i added him and liked a picture and then within a couple days he hit me up and he's just like hey man i'm i'm actually starting this other like band i want to jam with some people like what's your availability like coming up and this was like right when i was like dealing with the whole mitch stuff and i was in the studio recording with um it was my um i said to kill Mm-hmm. Uh, Steve Evans was working. I was dating the singer at the time, and it just worked out that I was tracking drums on the record. And then right after that, Suicide was going to go in for You Can't Stop Me. So it was a period of time where I was like, literally, like, dude, I would love to, but from like now until at least six months or seven months, I'm pretty much, you know, record a record, write another record, and record it back in the studio. So within two years, I did two records. But, anyways. Okay, like I kind of just let it him straight and didn't really talk to him. But throughout the years, we kept up on each other. And then literally like in January or February of last year. Yeah, last year, around the time of the parting of me and SS, um, I, t- I, t- I hit him up and I kind of did this to a lot of people. I was like, hey, like, I'm just putting myself out there. Like, if you need any like even work, I was willing to drum tech because everybody in the, in the industry knows techs do well especially if you're with good bands and you're trusted and you have experience and you know what, what it, you know, separate the, the fun from the work. And yeah. now you're just working, um, kind of threw myself out there, a lot of people. And he was just like, actually cool. We might, uh, yeah. And then it, um, I think at some point he had hit me up randomly and this was, it actually, it all snowballed cause I was, I, I'll, I'll probably go into it later, but D's Nuts, the hardcore band from, they hit me up to JJ was like, oh yeah, I noticed you're not in the band. Like, what are you doing this summer? You want to come hang out? And I was like, yeah. And then Asley Dine hit me up and then immediately POD hit me up and like, but basically they hit me up and said like, yo, like we have a fill-in drummer now, but um, we're kind of just like, we talked about you and we know that you're like a known dude in the industry. We like the way you play. Um, would you be down to do like some shows with us? And I, I was just like, hell yeah, you know, I'll do that shit for a sandwich. You know what I mean? <laughs> but uh, they did give me a sandwich though. Um, that's good. That's good. Yeah, you gotta have that. Um, and then yeah, it's it's been taking it slowly. They yeah. and it's also the situation with them and Wove is it's none of my business. So from my understanding, it's, it's something going on, and I'm just there to play and have fun. Trying but to yeah, help yeah. them help them out as as long as they need you to help. Yeah, them. yeah, and I'm having a a blast with them, and like as as it is with them with me too. Like, I think we we hung out prior to like the whole jamming together, and we just all clicked. Our humor was the same. Um, you know, we're all like pretty much like SoCal kids, so we're just like pretty much on the same level of like certain things, especially being Chicano and Mexican and sure. all that stuff. So. 
it all it all came in really cool and the the environment's super positive and, well, and that's pretty much how it came out well i'd say the uh i think half the time why people get gigs is about the other 23 hours yeah. that you're not playing because if you can't be in someone's space and live together and like yeah. enjoy each other's space like i'm sure the, a lot of gigs i've gotten those probably you know 10 guys who are better than me quote unquote but mm. i just connected more with the collective and people sometimes people just like having you around you know yeah yeah and that's that's the truth like dave Grohl said it like success is half talent half recommendation so you gotta have beat and the other and, half another or the three halves <laughs> the three halves and no oh yeah there's gotta just be more be, no just being in the right place at the right time yeah, yeah like some that's why half the time techs end up getting gigs because they're just they're, they're right there exactly yeah, yeah it is it's yeah and the recommendation would like it's seriously that the vouching because i've been hit up for someone's like hey you know anyone that can do this and i'm like i'm looking through my library of people like all right when you give your you know like when you give your stamp of approval to a musician or a tech or a manager or booking agent anything you're you're giving your word so like sure. it's you could either be like you know right now i can't anything i can't think of anyone that comes to mind even though you can you kind of don't just because you don't want to put that your friend who's looking in a situation where now your friendship might be compromised because of that, you know, decision. But, um, yeah. Uh, yeah. one of the things that kind of really struck me or, you know, cause, cause anytime I'm, I'm about to do a show, I'll, I'll just listen to it to like your catalog and see, just see how it makes me feel. And I, and I think about the style of drumming, that you're known for and Suicide Silence is known for and that scene is known for yeah. is such an extreme in one direction. And then you hear what these nuts does or what POD does, that's you know, it's such wearing a different type of hat. Uh, was that something you were kind of ready for? Was that something you were looking for? Or, you know, how did how did that kind of just feel um, as as a drummer? It felt it felt like a lot it was a lot harder and I will admit it like playing less was actually a lot harder really to do because your kick and snare have to land in the right spot especially with hardcore. Um, but I mean, growing up, I mean, I grew up listening to like Nirvana, of course, Metallica, Smashing Pumpkins, nineties, alternative rock. And then gradually went into like my, my older brother, who's five years older than me. He was a, he was like a total Hessian thrasher slayer Testament, like all the anything fast, like Metallica and um, Megadeth. So like, as I was growing up, I kind of knew about everything, but um, I think in high school, it was all about new metal. So POD, the Deftones, the Korn, Slipknots, like the NU was hardcore with me, but like right around, I was in high school from, so the listener could listen to this. I was in high school. This is like when you're in your like ultimate musical sponge of dip, you're, you're trying to like, meet other people who are different styles. You got punkers, you got metalheads, death metalheads. And then you have like the whole new wave, which was like the Rob Zombie people. But in high school from 99 to 2003 was my like high school. So the music was crazy. And especially around the middle of high school, like going from new metal to discovering hardcore. Like I found out about like Snapcase and then I found out about Refuse, like at the drive-in and also like metal started coming in. So that like Poison the Well was in like, just getting in the glass jaws. Mm -hmm. Like there was this whole era where it's just like, what the fuck is going on? And then it was just at that point, it was just a big melting pot of like, 
you would see different people at different shows. And luckily I was in LA. So the showcase theater was here in Corona. So the same thing, you can go see like a tray, you playing with Avenged Sevenfold and like throw down playing. And then it'd be like deicide and like just ran, you know, like the bands were just so, but like, I think getting into suicide silence, I was kind of like, I had to learn how to play their like our, whatever style we came up with, which was like, I guess, deathcore. But um, I've always had a passion for hardcore, like hardcore music in general. Um, I think it was like, I mean, it's a lot of bands that are not really like Converge is a big one for me. American Nightmare is one of my favorite bands, just just their writing and the, the drums, the way they sound. But um, that's that's what a lot that's kind of a big misconception, which could be argued with to me. Um, deathcore, the word deathcore was invented. Like I didn't we didn't say like, oh, let's be a deathcore band. No, well. You know, from my perspective, it's funny. The first God Forbid EP, which was like a demo, we called it Deathcore. Oh, shit. But <laughs> because... That's probably know, what put it in people's heads then. Well, no, it wasn't. But it wasn't us. There was bands like, you know, to me, like Dying Fetus was yeah. like the old, old prototypical version of that. But around grind almost. New York, it was like Internal Bleeding, Pyrexia, Irate. There was, you yeah. know, so there was, you know, to me that as a sound was something that already pre-existed. It just in a weird way, it just, to me, it was like the next logical step for metalcore, which was, hey, here's this thing that's really popular, but how do you make it more extreme? How do you take it to the yeah. next kind of, because that's the whole thing about scenes, it, it kind of, each generation gets a little crazier. Yeah, and it, it kind of, like the, I think that's another thing too, a big one with like, even just the style of the deathcore style, I feel like with suicide, or at least my drumming, I grab. I didn't gravitate too much toward metalcore. I loved metalcore, like all the bands that were coming out. But I was more of a hardcore guy. Yeah. So like we were combining death metal and hardcore, which is like I feel which like SS beats. I'm like I'm like the Lars of deathcore. Like <laughs> I'm like I probably inspired a lot of people. But that's what's cool. It's like even Vinnie Paul. You just, I kept it pretty basic because my favorite drummers were like drummers who were not like anything near death. Like Morgan Rose is one of my favorite drummers in the world. And he's not like well, actually, he's he's fucking fast as shit. He's, he's got some wild hands. Morgan's really yeah. Good. He's batting he's batting like hard as fuck. So, but as far as that, like, I was just I always thought like, how do you combine like this style of like? Because I mean, Garza and Mark were like super death metal. Like their yeah. shit is like, I'll hear a riff and they're like, I'm like, oh, that sounds like this. They're like, nah, dude, it's a Morbid Angel riff, totally. <laughs> like that's no, no, you you got it wrong. Alex doesn't know about death. Like they'll school me on shit. I'm like, oh, okay, cool, fuck. But um, I think that's how we got the sound more so was just the influences of everything. And then also like some bands were more like, uh, I would say like metalcore and death metal. That's when the progression started getting. But then like, who knows, man, that was like a, a wild west. Yeah, well, to me, the the hardcore influence and in culture, everything connects to the live performance yeah. and how oh, how is this part going to interact with the crowd? What is yeah. what is it going, you know, it's, so it's very much oriented around that. And I think that has a lot to do with the way you guys write your songs, yeah. how that connected in a live environment and why it was so powerful. And even like listening back to, to you guys' records, one of the things that stands out to me about Suicide Silence from all the other bands in that scene was that every record was designed to basically sound like a live band. You yeah. know, like it wasn't... Yeah. It was. It wasn't like, oh, we're gonna make it sound perfect. Like it's. It has this real raw 
raw energy. Yeah, I mean, it comes down to the style of writing. Yeah. Uh, we were a band that sat in a room together and fucking riffed out. And Garza and Mark always had riffs. Um, that's all they did. Like, and it was just, that's, that's like, that was kind of like the thing was really, we had to take a long time to write songs because there was so much material, but we would be like, it would literally like every, almost every suicide song is like, it's the riff are just going back and forth. He got this one. So he does the chorus. He does a break. Like they, that was like really easy to like come up with, come up with a lot of music, especially with those guys. It's crazy. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's chemistry, right? And it's, and the thing that's interesting about that band for me is, you know, in many ways, right. You guys became like the flag bearer, right. Of all those bands, you were probably, you know, at the time uh, before Mitch passed away, you were the, you were the biggest one. Yeah, holding right? up you, the flag of you the... were at the you were at the forefront, and then you see now you have this like second wave of bands, and they're like exploding bigger than That's, anyone's ever gotten. Right, it's in that... freaking crazy. Yeah, <laughs> it's insane. It's awesome. It's just like I'm just glad someone's doing it, but it's 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 a whole new level too. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's I mean, it's again like I was saying how each generation gets a little crazier. I think now you have a. Uh, a generation of young people who grew up like the band that got them in music was like Slipknot, mm-hmm. right? Who's super heavy, yeah. Or even you know even bands like like you guys, right? Where some of the some of the artists people are getting into right away is pretty like the the bar of extremity is very high already. Super. And then you take that with the fact that all these kids, each one, they just their technicality is at another level, right? Yeah. So the things that we struggles for they do very easily and then, yeah even know. with recording yeah. even like with like just people who live in the middle of canada and they're just like well i'm just gonna write music that imagine and also i think about that too like imagine how many people were talented and like the waste of talent like we would never hear this potential because of they didn't have the resources that we had yeah. being in like i'm not really from like downtown la but i was so close to it that i have these resources all around me and some people don't but now it's like the level of of I mean anyone could just learn anything and every that's got to be harder though, sort of for people like to not even want to pick up a guitar because they're like, I'm never gonna be that good. <laughs> I a, think about that sometimes. Well, yeah, I know. <laughs> I think about it every day. But I mean, they they might be a little bit more discouraged to to pick up music since they like they're just being subjected to like people shredding, especially like vocalists. You know, like, but it you know, that's that's just your own thoughts. Your own well, I think it goes both ways, right? You can either be, see something that's really exceptional and get inspired by it, or you can be like, I'll never be that good. Yeah, And and I think you can take that with any era. I mean, when I was coming up, it was all about, you know, Steve Vai and uh, John Petrucci and all. And and to me, when I, you know, when I was a kid, that seemed impossible, you know, or playing Mm -hmm. like, you know, playing a Dimebag solo when I was a kid was like, are you kidding me? It's like clout climbing Mount Everest, but you got to go all in pretty much. Yeah. And and I think it's, uh, you know, especially if you're young, right? If you're really young, you probably don't think that way. You're probably just like, I'm just going to dive. Just going to dive. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and and, in in the aggregate, you're going to get, you know, just really, really, it's just going to keep moving forward. Like you see with Polyphia, like you hear that shit and you're just like, oh, this is the next level. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I'm constantly trying to get my brain to operate in those in those ways. Like even like the last years hanging out with like the ginger people, like how they write music. I'm just like, what the fuck? Like Vlad comes in with like sheet music 
and they just sit around and like look at it or he'll have, you know, they come in, but they're like time signatures. Like I'm so, I'm like, my brain is so like straightforward. They're like, Oh no, this song is in like four threes and it changes into this. So like the, the accents are all different on the whole metronome, which is, I'm like, Oh yeah. Well for them to get out of their small town to make it on the microscope of metal, you have to be really good. Yeah. You can't even be like a halfway band if you're from a, like a, not from a very popular country where bands come out of, you know? So like it's, it's constantly trying to tra- train my brain yeah, or like just trying to learn about this stuff. Cause it helps. It inspires though. When I'm writing, I'm like, why does this riff have to just be two measures long? Why don't I just make this chorus like a queen song where it's just, it does this, you know, and it kind of inspires, like take it a little, you know, take it a little bit different. Have you heard uh, the new falling universe song? Uh-huh. So if you listen to that, right, there's not really a chorus. Like, yeah. Well, there's, well, the part yeah. you could say is the chorus is probably that kind of punky part. It gets into like a thrash. But it doesn't repeat. Yeah. So, yeah. so it happens one time. But you think about that, that came out and it was immediately the number one, you know, build or, Billboard hard rock songs. It was, you know, top five trending on, on YouTube. And I think it was, it was number one, like on the metal streaming or something yeah. like that. Then at the same time, you had that Sleep Token song, The Summoning, which was, you know, just exploding. I gotta check that out. Dude, but huge. I, yeah, Sleep Token is sick as fuck. But they're v- very progressive. But both those two songs, neither one of those songs have a chorus. And it just goes in. And But it, exploding. Yeah. But it, and, I, and I get it. That's the exception, not the rule. But I think... It's kind of scary. Well, I just I just think, you know, it's, you know, one time I was in a recording session, uh, Bad Wolves, and I was... You know, and I, I kind of made the the phrase, I go, hey, man, listen, there, there's no rules. And the producer's like, no, there kind of are rules. And I got really fucking pissed off <laughs> <laughs> because because I think that's a way to shut down avenues of exploration, right? Because mm-hmm. if you don't try something or if you're so afraid that someone's going to like, there's not a third chorus or it's not, yeah. it's, you're doing the riff. It has to be four times. It's got to be a verse, chorus, verse. Where's the bridge? You know, like. Or, or whatever. Yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah. Or just, just whatever. I just think uh, the a big reason why some of those artists will have, they will transcend a certain level is because they're willing to go and, like I said, be like Queen. Queen is, by any kind of metric, the biggest rock band like in terms of like streaming and all that stuff even mm-hmm. more than the beatles currently even though beatles are the biggest band or whatever but i think a lot of that is because they just pushed the genre they did things no one else ever did and we're willing to kind of take write, take some risks yeah just write different types of songs you know yeah that's that's really true i mean i think suicide tried that for a record writing something a little bit different but that's kind of like the inner musician we all want to like do something we've never done before that we really like. And yeah, I mean, like the new falling song is, I mean, Racky's kind of always been on the next tip though. I feel yeah. like he's, I met him a long time ago. He's always been cool with me. Um, and seeing like all like the shit he gets and all the stuff he's had to deal with. And even he's acknowledges his previous self, but like he, he, from my understanding, he's always been on top of his own music. Like he's like, he told me a story once I was on tour with him. He's just like, He's all, literally he would he would be in like prison and he would hum the song to his buddy or whoever was writing riffs for him. And like he would sit the home studio and write it. So by the time Ronnie got out, they already had material like and I'm just he's just like, yeah, I would just be like humming stuff to him and he'd like record it and then try to write a riff to it. 
And I'm just like, that's the thing. It's like, he's also an X-Man, you know? Like, yeah. he's like, what the fuck am I going to do when I get out? And it's kind of inspiring for anyone who's just like, you just got to do it. There's no, like, excuses on, like, oh, well, I wish if I only had a guitar. It's like, you can kind of make it anything out of anything. Yeah, I mean, he's a... Pushing the envelope. He's one out of a, a million, you know, in terms of... I think what you're talking about, or what I connect to that is just the drive. The drive. Right, yeah. and then saying... Or, or the drive, but also having that feeling of being in a tough place, but music is still the way I'm going to ex express yeah. myself or I have something to say. And and that's, you know, those are the people ultimately that I think large groups of people will connect with because they're, it's, it's not like they, oh, I want to make a song. It's like, I need to make music to that's true. be sane or get this this emotion out. I know that's, that's I mean, I've, I've, I've been kind of jamming with every instrument since I was young, so... If I don't have anything to do or I'm feeling something, it's always a good idea to pick up any instrument in general or listen to music. Yeah. Or watch a dope ass movie. <laughs> watch <laughs> that, Rambo 3. Rambo 3 gets me excited. I think that's the yeah. most jacked that Stallone has ever been. Rambo yeah. 3. I, I, my, my cat, cat, like, uh, what's it called? My order was really fucked up because my, like, the family, we'd always watch Rambo, but I was just like, which one's First Blood? Is that the one? And I realized when I watched First Blood, I'm like, holy shit, this is the first one I saw. But I thought for some reason there was more war in the movie. He's just flashbacking. Yeah. But then I was just like, when I we on tour, we watched it. Like all like a couple of guys from POD. Just forgot how dope that shit is. Like, oh, it's the it's the best one. I think, sure. yeah, First Blood's crazy. I was just like, he really fucks up that whole town. Well, it's, dude, it's, it's, the, <laughs> it's, the, it's the OG ACAB. Yeah. yeah, it really is. <laughs> It's. I, I tried to make a point on Twitter that that the movie's pretty uh, uh, critical of of police, but uh, you know, people. I got some pushback, but yeah, or even probably the system. You know, like maybe like the whole military system, or how like you know the, the war in general, like how that. Yeah, all but goes also in. it was it was the main the main point was like you know people were coming back from soldiers yeah. come back from and getting a lot of flack. From, yeah, yeah, from from the from the people, just from yeah. you know people didn't didn't like the war and they got. They, they took the brunt of that, unfortunately. Yeah, like calling, even like, I never knew what baby killers were. Like, like I'd see it in movies all the time, um, watching like all those movies. And I was just like, and then it made sense later. I was like, oh yeah, there was like a whole civil movement with like the hippies and the veterans and like people yeah. like, yeah, that's a bunch of crazy shit. It's a rough one. <laughs> um, Respect to all of them. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Uh, I would like to talk about, you, you mentioned it, in a, in, a, in, a, in a small piece there, but the self-titled record. Because I, I think it's one of, not only for you guys, but any band that has like a defined sound and then takes a big left turn, mm -hmm. I find is always some of the most interesting moments in the history of music, especially when that band matters and people are kind yeah. of invested in, in the process. What kind of, you know, we're, I don't even know how many years now, you know, you know, six seven years re removed from that yeah yeah it was 2014 or 15. Something oh like even that. more than that good lord what is your yeah. kind of no was, was it 2017. yeah i think so yeah i'm getting mixed up with uh, the one before that one yeah but do you have like what, what do you currently feel about that record do you go back and listen to it do you what's what, what's your kind of general feelings Oh, that's a real, that is a very interesting one. Um, cause the, ev everything happened the way it was supposed to happen on that album, but 
it's not really it's it's really hard to explain um how like how i feel towards it. like i really love all the songs and i feel like we would have wrote those songs as a band but um you know hindsight maybe it just wasn't a good idea to put it out as a suicide silence record yeah because it's like that's kind of like what it comes around to it because we all went to it with good intention like i think when we started we started writing the record we were doing i don't know if it was it was either garza or mark's idea we would do this thing i think chili peppers talks about it where they like before you jam you just sit in a room together and everyone would just kind of sit and meditate not make a noise we were doing this for like weeks and months so like we would just chill the lights would be low probably light an incense everyone would just stay quiet it was hard to adjust to it but i knew that this is it's like let's all get onto the same mental plane for a while like like basically like how long it would range from like 15 minutes to 35 minutes of wow. just complete silence and realm and then like mark would pick up a guitar depending on his feeling and then guys would we would all start to pick up our instruments and like i would get like push record on the rig and and at some point through these through these times we kind of like eddie came into town once and heard everything he's like so is this what we're doing is this the vibe and it that turned into like i guess let's not like let's not do what everyone else is doing and it kind of like turned into also like i i had met ross robinson at a at Head, headwind city the span headwind city and i was just, i think i just straight up went up to him and said like hey man can you re- can you record the next suicide record and he was actually like all right sure <laughs> Who, who who's this guy and, he, and like i think a couple other uh greg like a lot of homies were there and then literally like within a week or two ross came over to garza's heard everything we talked about everything and then um the, that whole approach to that record was basically something that probably and also like i didn't really know it was going to be mixed the way it was because there was like at some point i heard one of the one of the final mixes and i'm like the first mixes and the drums were really like it's really natural. Yeah, it kind Super. of. Well, it sounds to me like a demo. Yeah. Like yeah. like if you were doing pre-production and you were just miking up your kit in like your jam studio. Yeah. I mean, obviously it's better than that, but I mean like yeah. the, the, the the tonal kind of Yeah, the mix. Quality. Like there was no, like, it just pretty much was as raw as it could be. And I remember hearing it back and I'm like, wait a minute. Like it sounds like it did when we were tracking it. And like, yeah, isn't it cool? Like that it doesn't sound like any other drums, like ever recorded in death metal or whatever and i think at that point i was like oh so this is just going to be a whole thing and in my brain this is already like our fifth record and i'm like all right well let's make this as cool as possible let's make it like whatever maybe it's like it does what it does now but it's a grower like down the line and i'm in it for the art like i mean i'm like i do other forms of art as well so i'm not always like sticking to one genre but also that's the thing if you're a company that sells a certain thing or wants to keep your fans happy as soon as you switch it up you, it's it might have been something to consider but um yeah i mean i heard it back and i was just like instantly i was like okay well fuck it it sounds cool when it's really loud but i'm like what <laughs> i was like hold on if you just put it really loud it sounds really cool but um <laughs> you know i wasn't a part of any of the the vocals that was all between you know eddie and ross and um, I think once I tracked everything, I kind of just like, I like went off to go do my own thing. Um, but you know, that was a whole experience and even just like living with Ross was cool. I don't think we would have done the record there with him 
if if we would have done it somewhere else, it would have been a different album, different style. Well, that's that's other thing that struck me listening to it was that it feels to me, and I, you know, take this for what you will. I hope this doesn't sound like I'm, I'm dissing you guys, but it it sounds like you guys made a Ross Robinson record. Yeah, like, like you were like and. More so on the vocal end of things. Once it got to that point, and that's the thing, we were like, with you're kind of right. We, it got to the point where like where we try to out, out like, like make something very uncomfortable and very natural. Like you want to outdo that. It's like, well, fuck. If that's the case, I'm not even gonna use reverb on my voice. Well, you like it turned in like you know what? Let's not even EQ the snare. Let's just go straight. Like let's just. Tr we were kind of trying. I think we were trying to out raw it. Yeah. And like even with vocals, it's like, oh, that that sounds too cool. Let's make let's make it even worse. Like let's purposely go out of our way. Like, fuck it, let's just do this. You know, like we kind of just kept going with it, and then that's what it pretty much came out to. Hey, you. Do you have any plans this year? <laughs> How's that going? Do you get 2020? Well, welcome to a brand new podcast called 2020, where myself, Benny Goodman, and my good friends, Corey Pazin and Siobhan Cronin from the band Lost Symphony, also got 2020. And since the world ended this year, we decided why not just check in with some of our friends in the music industry and see how everyone's doing. We're going to get a candid look at life on and off the stage, as well as the mindset of some of the most successful people in the entertainment industry. New episodes drop every Sunday and Wednesday at 9 p.m. Eastern. And you can listen at 2020-D.com, SoundTalentMedia.com, or on your favorite podcast app. Greetings from Evergreen Podcasts. We're rolling out a listener survey, and we want to hear from you. The information in the survey will help us gather statistics and in turn make our shows more appealing to advertisers. I know most people don't like ads, but this is one of the only ways our shows make money and help keep their lights on. We promise it will only take a few minutes, but the impact on our podcasts will be tremendous. As a token of our appreciation, we'll randomly select one lucky participant each month to win an exclusive merchandise package from Evergreen Podcasts. Head to evergreenpodcast.com slash listener survey to help a show and possibly get some free stuff for doing so. We can't thank you enough for the support. Now back to the show. Hey, this is Chris Swinney, formerly of the Ataris and currently host of That One Time on Tour, part of the Sound Talent Media Podcast Network. Have you ever wondered what it's really like on the road? The highs can be euphoric, but the lows can be crushing. Join me every week as I chat with industry pros about what it's like living out their wildest dream and in some cases, their worst nightmare. Past guests of the show include members of NoFX, Pennywise, Bad Religion, and more. Listen and subscribe at SoundTalentMedia.com. Well, so I, I had Mark on the show. Like This is when yeah. I first started the podcast. I think I had... It was my eighth episode or seventh episode. And I really thought you guys were going to pull it off in terms of connecting it with the fans, you know? Um, and, and so it's interesting to see, you know, the, like, cause there, there cause in many ways, right. Think about the process of making a record like this for a band like yourselves, who is so kind of enveloped in like the, the scene. Mm -hmm. And, and by that time you had, a, a broader culture around that right and it was so wrapped up in you know like you know like the i think the big thing was like the was it jared dines or yeah that kind of yeah. did, did a video about you guys oh yeah yeah the but follow was, up the follow-up just yeah but the social media aspect of it right like you know if social media existed when 
Metallica put out Load or something, mm-hmm. right? Or even St. Anger, right? Because I think it was, that was 2003. There was still, I think, Friendster might have been out. Yeah. Right? Fuck. Yeah, there was but, no way to get it. But, yeah, but but that whole kind of almost like like the, the word of mouth mm-hmm. kind of vibe on it was it seemed to be a lot of a lot of pushback, you know? And obviously you guys were the ones experiencing that in real time because you're on the road, you're doing tours. Um, what was that experience like? Um, I mean, it was what you like. There was a lot of micro decisions that happened that I wasn't in favor for. Um, that in, I, anything you can speak to. Well, the only the only thing that it it doesn't really matter at this point, which was one of the, it was, but that's the thing where I said we tried to. There's always like, what are we about as a band? Like, do we want to conform? And there was even a song called Conformity because this is how bad some of the like the vibe was to not conform i think we put the first single out and it was like okay it's cool it's a little sounds a little weird but it's let's hear what the next one sounds like and then when it was time for single two i think me and dan kenny were like we need to put hold me up hold me down it's the hardest song on the record this song needs to be the song we put out like right now everyone's hearing and watching and there and then at some point like i think other members of the band were like so you just want to like do what people expect? Like, why don't we put out silence and show them how we really are? I'm like, it's all great. He's like, so you're not proud of those songs anymore? Like it turned into like, yeah. so you play drums on these and help write. So now you, you just want to be like a little bitch and put out what people want to hear and go back on your word. Like this blood oath we took imaginary when we decided to do it. And then I was just like, you know what? Suicide, we're all team players. Like we're like a team. Like if, the majority of guys want to do something. I say, you know what? Fuck me. I'm going to back you guys. If you guys want to put that song, then we're going to do it. But we're going to do the shit out of it. We're going to play it live. We're going to crush it. We're going to do what we can because I'm all in or nothing. So I think there was just like small moments where I'm like, oh, well, if we if we would have put that out second, would that would have bought us more time or not bought us more time or just made it what it is. But I think um, all in all, it kind of just um, it would it started something within myself too to start it's kind of what that's like the steps that slowly made me look outside of the bubble yeah because at that point i was like all right what am i even doing in this and then it's like you feel a little disconnected yeah. from the kind of like the the vision yeah and it's kind of like you know there's a lot of cooks in the kitchen and there's a lot of stuff that happened post that like mark left the band for a while yeah garza tried to leave the band and then Eddie has, Eddie's, you know, battled that forever. He's just like, always like, dude, I'm, you know, he's super humble and super like, it feels undeserving, but feels deserving. Like he's kind of like, there's been multiple times where he's probably didn't want to feel like he didn't want to do it. Cause he's just like ev- the butt of everyone's joke. He's the one they make fun of. He's the one that gets compared. It's a lot he, of pressure. It's a lot of pressure on him. And he's, he's got his own battles with it. And for him, not like pulling it and going somewhere else is like, I, I love him for that because he's kept it. But I think I kind of always had ideas to do other things. And also once, once like, um, once everything happened with, with the band, like it slowly, it slowly altered, um, on me leaving. Um, I, I don't even know if this came out, but I had, well, I think I, I went to get help for my drinking. This is what kind of, um, not put me not in the position for the become the hunter record. Um, we started writing it. And at some point, like 
I think I just wasn't in the mind, the right headspace for it. And we have this awesome friend, Ernie. Yeah. Great drummer who already was already there doing it and on point. And it's kind of like there. He was, he was working on the record with them or he was tracking the record. He was, well, first I was working on the record with them and then I had to leave. Ernie would come in to kind of like start continuing. Like fill in. Fill in. Yeah. Yeah. And then, um, at some point, I kind of like was learning these songs to potential to record with Evitz. And then it just kind of like, it kind of worked out that I didn't, um, like the style was a lot different than my style of playing. Like if we go back to even the black crown, like the songs with Yolo and the verse chorus verses, the, just the stuff. Um, I was a lot more happier with the slower stuff. Like yeah. I could do the fast stuff. It's cool. But the styling, it's like, you know, Suicide Science is Suicide Science is a death metal band ultimately like essentially um deathcore yeah but uh i think that style of music i kind of just got a little bit over it like, yeah kind of just was like all right and then i started hearing other bands that were out i'm just like all right it's not only like it is a contest sort of but it's it's like it's like i'm a football player but i had to play baseball but now I don't even want to play baseball with other teams. Like, <laughs> like I'm not even, I'm not, I love playing sports, get me wrong, but I'm not only playing a fucking on a team that's playing the world series with other teams. I hate, like, not that I hate other bands, but it just turned into something where I'm like, my vibe is not cool. I, I'd rather them. And Ernie was like kind of perfect. He was just like seasoned, trained, sick. He's fast. He's old school. It's my age. He gets along with everyone. And like, He's he's pretty much turning that band into what they they should be. Like, yeah, I feel that completely. So that and, so so with that, I mean, it seems like the separation happened in a very naturalistic way. Yeah, it took ah, it took like from two thousand nineteen to two thousand twenty to like twenty two. So do you feel like become the record? Oh, become the record. Become, become the, the record. hunter. <laughs> do you feel that's your record? Do you feel like you have any? identity or ownership in that or do you feel like uh, there's that's... i think the half i think literally half of the songs i have like helped write or was a part of the writing gotcha and then yeah you know like that record a lot like mark um mark had previously left for a while like a whole year almost we did we... some tours without him it was around that era but he came back fully riff and you know it was just easier for well, him he quit drinking for, for a while right for a while yeah i think everyone's had issues with Balance. all that yeah, yeah well you guys i mean Pushed it. No severe drugs, but just straight up, like, you know. Well, I'm saying, like, personal issues. You guys were one of the hardest drinking bands I've ever hung out with in terms of just, like, living it. You know, I think, <laughs> I think you guys took the mantle from God forbid. <laughs> yeah. That's being, like, the partying dr- dr- drinking band is, you know, and especially in terms of the lifestyle, right? Of just what I think, probably like, like us, you guys probably watched the Pantera DVD. Oh, and- yeah. And kind of the, the home videos, but just had this idea of what that life was about, yeah, right? and what it was supposed to be, and 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 just that I don't know, it's kind of like a just like a roller coaster, to yeah. Some and it's like, dude, Suicide Silence, maybe the Chapels, maybe I'm trying to think of other bands, but we were one of the last bands to actually experience like motherfuckery, like what like do you we, mean? Like we toured with Sworn Enemy. <laughs> in 2007 oh that's when Corey Corey Pierce filled that's, in for Sworn me and Corey enemy. filled in for Sworn Enemy because yeah. Paulie got arrested <laughs> so I'm talking about rest pa- in peace Paulie yeah rest in peace Paulie man one of the funniest dudes ever I mean but everyone on that like 
this is like I remember we did we like we went from our van to like a bus. Oh, you guys are gonna share a bus with Sworn Enemy. Oh fuck, that band from New York. Like we've seen them. We played all these festivals, but we were all twenty one years old, man. And we were on this bus with like Lorenzo and like who was Sid, Jamin. Drinking Lorenzo. Oh <laughs> the first time I saw a lot of shit, literally I remember more about that tour than ever was that tour. It's the first time I saw saw and heard a lot of things <laughs> and i was just like and we were just like little 20 year olds who didn't know and after that but i just you know like after that like touring with like you know unearth and meeting like people like buzz or like just crazy not crazy people but like fun and yes. then like it just kind of you there was a lot more going on with uh band members in the metal community where everyone kind of was like really really cool with it still are but now I think, I mean, I'm sure there, but th that's like, I'm saying like, we were like the youngest in a slightly older environment Yeah. with, uh, with all those bands. Cause it's just like, we, we were kind of the young band, um, that kind of stepped into everything and then kind of try to go our own way with it. But I don't know if like, if a lot of bands ever, like this was, it's crazy to even think of all that. Cause this was before social media, like, damn. That's Corey some... told me some stories. Oh yeah, <laughs> just for being there for a few days, and uh, I will not repeat those. <laughs> yeah, no, those. Actually, I just saw him in Vegas. He came out, and we were we were talking about that tour and how we met. Like, yeah, literally. Yeah, I was, and it's funny because I was a fan of God forbid, and they're like, "Oh shit, Corey's coming." I'm like, "Fuck, dude!" And he's gonna like, you guys are both gonna play the set, and I was kind of like, "Shit, like this is gonna be." This is kind of crazy how it's all working. And then it turned into an awesome friendship that just still, still to this day is still, still good. Yeah, that's, that's good. Shout out to Corey. Shout out to Corey. Motherfucking Mr. Pierce. Mr. Vegas, man. So <laughs> one thing I kind of, an observation I have listening to you talk about how everything kind of led from self-titled to... In in some in some ways, you you mentioned how like you know Mark leaves the band for a little bit, and Chris almost left, and everyone's dealing with this. But all that seems like it's fallout to me from the self titled, and not necessarily the record itself, but just what it does to a career in terms of you know because I you know I talk so much on this show about this difference between the art and the business mm -hmm. of of music and entertainment, and it's very difficult to have it both ways, right? In that, if you want, be an artist, do what you want, whatever, make it, make the world your your canvas, and yeah, don't yeah. and don't think to be selfish and don't think about anyone else. Or, but these these bands we put together are brands, right? Look at this, right? So you guys can't see yeah. this, but there's a giant Bad Wolves logo here, and this brand, right? This logo, that name, <laughs> kind of means something bigger than me or even the individuals, right? It takes yeah. it takes on a life of its own. And I, I, it's I always an say- It's like an entity. Well, I say yeah. it's like new Coke, they like changed the formula in Coke and it was a disaster, right? People were like, no, fuck that. And that's, you know, <laughs> the, the can probably looked <laughs> the same. Yeah, but, but the, the inside- well, well, just this idea that people have an expectation yeah. of, of, of what that's gonna be. And me, you know, as, as much as, I think I, I, in my heart, I think artistically, I also can never get out the idea of thinking, uh, being an avatar for the fans, mm. right? And even not, not just the fans you have, but also 
prospective fans, right? Because sometimes what, what bands will do is they'll, you know, what, what will be called from the outside looking and selling out, which is the idea that, oh, we're going to make this. I'm, I'm not saying bands more, actually. More accessible. Yeah, I'm not saying the bands intentionally do this, but you certainly, when you kind of venture out into other fields that are a little more accessible, in your mind you go, okay, well, we might, so maybe some of the old fans won't like it, but it creates this opportunity to get new fans or whatever. Yeah, um, I think that's that's too. There's like so many factors into That's why like the whole, even that whole record was, it wasn't like we we set out to do it. It just turned into that, you know? And like, that's another thing. We're kind of like, well, you know, like maybe we'll make different fans now um, and we'll find out who our real fans are, which is kind of like, that's kind of like a taboo right there. It's like, let's see who our real fans are. Like, you know, let me go cheat on a bunch of girlfriends and see which ones come back. <laughs> you know, it's like, you might not like, that's true. Do you think that analogy holds up? Uh, Do you feel like it? it's like a, you did the fans wrong? Well, that's another thing too, which I think the, the rebuttal too, it's like that came out, a lot of shit happened and then Become the Hunter came out and it was like, okay, cool. It's cool. This it is what it is. But I, it happened. It came out right at the beginning of the pandemic, so you didn't get to like tour. Oh yeah, that was that was already like I think I I already kind of was going through my own personal stuff because I had gone through a lot of stuff the last three years with with myself, family, um, relationships, and then the band was kind of like I think that's what kind of like did more of it. But um, yeah, and, and that's what I'm saying. You went through all the shit. And then a pandemic happened. Yeah, and then it was all like of us up. fully over after that. Yeah, which you know, it 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 changed things for a lot of bands. Absolutely. It also, and it also, I have my like, I've a lot of stuff that I've noticed about what the pandemic caused. It caused a lot of people to also like become to work together. But now that the pandemic's over, I don't think people are working together as much as they might have thought they would be working together. What do you mean? Um. I think just like within like inner band rivalry, um, like everyone's kind of cool each other with each other online. But when it comes to like, I think somebody just posted about this. I saw it and I have no, I, I'm not in the whole, like I'm not in the death core like realm, but it was this, who is it? I don't know his name. Okay. You know, that that death core five, Oh yeah, the the six, the big six. The big, the big six. There was like this guy they put brought in, and then he just put out a tweet saying like, "This is a note to the music industry. You guys are all fake." Uh, I'm I'm not quoting it. He basically there's something going on, and he's calling someone out, and has to deal with that whole camp. And then he's basically saying like, "I've tried my ass off to get where these are at, and they say yes, but they never, no one ever delivers." We get thrown under the bus. He's talking about probably bands that are killing it. Um, I don't know who they are, but I, I, I hate those kinds of social media posts. It's just it's you're kind of letting people know how you are. Like, like I, it's true. Like, like I have a lot of acquaintances that in certain different genres, but they'll like you know when someone writes a whole entire like not a story share like they're basically talking to someone but they're not saying who it is. Yeah. I feel like that's a bad choice of like character. Well, to I a did. certain extent you could say something, but like then if you start doing it often, that's just like, man, this person's just got a problem with like everything. Well, I just, I, I have a problem with like complaining to the ether. 
Oh yeah. You know, and that's, and that's why I was like, I was sitting there like the Michael Jackson meme where he's just eating popcorn. Yeah. I'm just like, <laughs> well, well, no, it's, it's, you know, and I, I, I addressed it. Um, the singer from monuments, you know, you know, put out stuff. And I think he was just having a, he was going through a rough mental yeah. space and, you know, he put out this thing on Twitter basically saying how, you know, that he's feel like he's busted his ass and he just hasn't got to where he wants in his career. And I, I just think it's a struggle right mm. now for even for for essentially the the middle class whatever that means in uh in in music or in metal yeah. and by the way the middle class in metal is probably like lower class compared to the rest of like normal people if you put it on a real scale where yeah. higher class yeah yeah i yeah. mean that's yeah shit. well that's what i'm saying like yeah. a middle class person in metal is like just barely surviving and i think in a van and trailer probably yeah but the thing is you just have to constantly either be on the road right you have to tour four or five year you know times out of the year you have to put a record out every two years yeah. and then when you're home you gotta like do twitch or have a youtube or anything you know you you know you have to teach guitar or you have to have a side hustle and i think that grind when you're doing that for like 10 years and you feel like you haven't moved forward. You're in the same apartment. You're you haven't bought a house. You haven't maybe. And I think what's happening is a lot of these individuals, they're hitting that age, right? They're hitting thirty. They're hitting thirty-five, and they're going, maybe I want a little more yeah. out of life. That's true. I mean, like they say, uh, like that's another two thing about sticking with the industry and never quitting. It's, you gained wisdom from other people. Like conversations I've had with people, like even with like for example Ross. Oh man, the shit we learned with him, the humors, the stories, the mindsets, the the mindfulness, uh, the simple stuff like his, you know, his mom was Byron Kate. So like his mom was a therapist, an author as well. So there's a lot of like simple solutions that we we learn and also like other friends you gain. But like one thing that he said that he st stuck with me over, he's like, it's not really, a, it's not really about the destination. It's about the journey. It's, and then like, I heard something recently that stuck with me. It's like, it's not a race. It's a marathon. Like that's another way. Like these are ways to look at situations where you're like, yeah, you're not going to like, you might not get to like that house or, you know, that perfect life so quickly like others do. But, uh, you know, you keep doing it and your heart's in the right place. You, you know, something will happen for you. And like, that's where like, I didn't know that I would be like, all I wanted to do when I was like in 2018 or 19, when suicide was opening up for Attila, <laughs> and I'm like, what the fuck am I doing in my life? Like, I don't like, I don't speak for anyone, but I'm like, is this what we should be doing? It's like, well, we need money. Okay. We'll play for that. Like, we'll do this. Like, like these are all cool dudes. Like, I just feel like I don't belong here. And all these, I was just like, I just want to fucking play in like arenas, you know, like I want to play, <laughs> I'm looking at you. Cause you're like, like I think you posted once. You're like, no. I, you know how long I've been wanting to play arenas. No, like, but we, at, but no, yeah. but no, but the, the dichotomy you're talking about was we came to see you guys in South Carolina because our show, we got rained out Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Was, or lightning. And so we were on the five finger death punch like, yeah, yeah. mentor and we came over to your guys show. Um, and yeah, and there's a, there's such a difference. By the way, we headlined that same venue. Like, I don't know, like, maybe six months or a yeah, year was a cool after that. Spot. Um, had, a, had a good show there. But, you know, we didn't have any more, you know, we probably had the same amount of people that show had. Yeah, yeah, Um, But it's a different world. Yeah. Right? It's a, and, and, and I'm sure, you know, seeing guys like us who are 
essentially your contemporaries, even though we're probably a little older than you guys, um, you know, kind of achieve the success, you know, when you look at that. But even for Bad Wolves, right? Look at all us bands, right? You look at what happened with you guys with Mitch, right? Look at what happened with the Azalea Dying guys with Tim yeah, going away. You look at us losing a singer and having this crazy public beef that's, yeah. that's like really hurt everyone in the process. And it's this constant thing of you're at certain level and then things out of your control happen. And yeah. then you find yourself going, all right, what, what, where am I at? What after it's a constant building, rebuilding, right? Yeah, like, peaks and valleys. Yeah, there's very few artists, I think, that can look at some trajectory that's just like just straight up. Even Metallica, right? The biggest metal band of all time yeah, yeah. has a fucking documentary about the hardest time yeah. in their band. It's kind of showing that, you know, they are human. And that's kind of like Yeah, that's the that's the whole thing. And I think I felt the same way. I was like, what the hell am I doing here? And then just continuing to play and like now being having the ability with like pod to play shows with corn i'm like fuck dude i haven't played a show with corn in like a while <laughs> and it was crazy for them to kind of like i mean the like they kind of saw me at first they, they didn't put it together until <laughs> the guys came out to see pod they're like wait a minute that's that's the dude from suicide like oh shit and it's like and you guys are killing it like cool and i'm like all right you know like having that feeling now it's like I feel like I just kind of came into a new stepped into a new room and it's, it's not like, I, I don't feel like I'm done yet. You know, like yeah. I'm trying to get, trying to get to that art, art cruise level. Or just like, <laughs> we all want to be like, like, art. it's cruise. like, we're just joining the bands that were like a little younger then just to be the young blood. But it's inspired me like with everything to get in shape, to stop drinking, to stay motivated, to keep drumming more. Cause at, at the same time, yeah, it's like, there are a million drummers out there. There's a lot of, there's even more really good ones. But there's only one Alex. But there's only one Alejandro. Um, exactly. And that's, and, and by the way, that goes for all of us. Yeah. You know, that there's a million people that can do a million things, but we're the only, we're the best versions of ourselves. Yeah. And that's kind of like, it's, it's also motivating. It's like, well, now I should, like, I do naturally want to get better and get a little bit more sicker with it and see where I can go, but also contain, you know, maintain my, my style my DNA, like how I play things. But yeah, it's crazy. Those dudes are, it's, it's funny learning the songs too. It's just like, oh yeah, I fucking, I know this song already. Was, um, I thought it was an interesting pairing when I heard about P.O.D. and Ginger. Was it weird at all or did it just work? Oh, so that was, that actually, people are just like, how did you get that gig, Alex? And I was like, dude, it actually, it, it kind of, there was nothing there okay they had nothing booked until i they talked to me about playing the rest of the year and then as soon as they they confirmed this evanescence corn little run and they told me like hey we're gonna think about like starting to play some shows this year and then they did it and then like des is ginger's manager and i think that um they were trying to make a tour for ginger and I think Tatiana's really, really strong about like now she she's like, if we're gonna tour with bands, we're gonna tour with bands that we like. No more like touring with so and so. Like I don't even like this band. And I we're gonna have to not only live with this band, but I'm gonna have to listen to them every day. Like, I don't wanna do this. So they're clearly POD fans. And then at some point I think Des was just like somehow the talks of 
POD playing shows again. And they just basically asked Ginger, like, do you want to tour with POD? And they were like, fuck yeah, we do. And at that, like, it literally all came at once. So there wasn't even like no deal breaker. Cause we even thought about it. They're like, Hey, if you want to tour with Ginger, just, uh, hit up Alex. He'll, <laughs> he'll get you on there. It's like, nah, dude, I don't even know if that's even possible for, it was cool though. Yeah. Touring with the wife's cool. Um, we got really used to it after last year. So now it's just like really easy. And I've, I mean, I've gone on the road with her. She's gone on the road with me. We also like our breaks too. Like I'm not always just like trying to be all up in her Kool-Aid and like, she's, <laughs> she's got to do her own shit. And it's like, I know how I feel when you you want your own alone time, but we both kind of see eye to eye with that. And like, she's been grinding for so long. I've been grinding for so long. Like our success paths are built different. Yeah. They're really different, but she knows the value of my intention of music. And I can see, and I'm, and I'm also trying to help her. I'm like, all right, you got to start like investing. You got to get some properties. You got to like maybe start a business. Let me show you how to get this. Like, I'm kind of like trying to be a good friend and a good husband and like let her teach her how to be like on that independent stuff. Like, so they're doing well enough where it's that point where she can start. Yeah, yeah, they're, they're killing it. They're super killing it. And that's another thing where I tell her, I'm like, it's all good, but just remember, like, it's hopefully this lasts forever. Yeah. But at the same time, you never know when the next, the next ginger comes out. And then it's like a whole, like, probably 10 years. It's always 10 years after the band starts, something else comes out of the woodwork but well it's that line from the kendrick song t with doc talking with dr dre just like said anyone can get it the hard part is keeping it oh yeah know? no it's it's really really true and that it's kind of like kind of makes it inspires me too because then i'm just like seeing it i'm like oh i can kind of go anywhere with it and recording my own music you know writing my own stuff which is really fun because it's like i have to constantly show people shit because i'm like does this sound too much like Suicide Silence? <laughs> like, it's just top string riffs, like what are you, drums. Are you doing vocals on a tour? Or you no just, vocals. Just That's music. the only thing I can't do. You want to hear this shit on a fucking... <laughs> I don't know. No. I don't know what people oh, no. can do. I don't, I don't deny yeah. people's talent. No. Um, just guitar, bass, drums, um, recording. Um, I've recorded a lot of, like... I have, like, at least 10 or 15 songs that I've recorded in the last couple of years. A couple songs with Tatiana. Um... I'm just trying to like, what do you want? Do you know what you want to do with it? I think my approach is something that Mark Morton did that I really liked where he wrote a, pretty much a record and had different vocalists on it. Yeah. And this is almost like some Dr. Dre shit. Like it's like you make all the music and you just have multiple, except Dre's on it. Um, and I'm kind of like, well, there was a while where like, I'm like, I'll oh, let's just collaborate. And I like made some songs and kind of just seeing where it goes and like having, you know, the back, like being made friends with like certain, like Steve Evitz or someone who was just like showing Shout the out to Steve. Shout out to Steve. And I'm just like, at some, you know, I, I don't know how I'm going to execute this whole situation, but at this point I'm just writing songs. Um, talk to a lot of singers where I'm like, Hey, would you, would you be down to do this? Like, this is pretty much what I'm thinking about. I don't really have a full plan yet. Here's the music. It's all demo. Like literally we're just keeping the grid. Like I'm going to retract the drums. Either I'll play the guitar or find someone who's down to do it. You know, like however it works, it's not like crazy shit. Um, but it's, you know, it's allowed me to like sit down and actually uh, create again and see a light. Then I'm like, Oh, I don't have to be so like busy this year. 
have to take it slow because there's like income comes as it comes, you know. But, sure. But now it's like I'm not in a big hurry to like. And also, I know POD is doing a lot more shit next year. By the way, POD Bad Wolves. That's a good line. That's a good line. I like that. Dude, let's do it. <laughs> I'm trying to get, dude, I'm trying to get them to do all kinds of shit now. Um, well, I just think that's a good, like, like combination of music. Like, both bands that do kind of shit on the radio. Yeah, and, totally. still heavy. And... Yeah, totally. And their new stuff's really good. Um, and also now with me in it, they're kind of like, well, shit, we can kind of write some different level stuff. And I'm like, yeah, let's <laughs> sit in a room. And, like, they haven't sat in a room and jammed, I think, in a long time. Um, and are you actually working with them on the new record? Or are they doing? Um, I've heard all of it. No, I haven't done anything. They right when I, cause there was talks about me tracking on the album. And then, um, during that time I was out with these nuts. So when they were recording that, they got this dude, Robin Diaz, who's he's with live plays with live and Candlebox sometimes. Nice. Super, super cool dude. Um, and I think at some point they're just like, yeah, we'll just have him do it. But I heard the songs back and I'm like, oh, they're cool really really cool but um we're playing we played like one new new song they wrote i think randy blythe's gonna be on a song nice tatiana's on a song which kind of worked out because it's like that was a long that's kind of what started it too they were like hey we should be down to collaborate and that's a dream come true for her like it's crazy how like that instantly happened with with her because one of her favorites like if you look at old pictures of tatiana dreadlocks to dreads and super like soup like I mean booyaka like that's like a reggae term almost. And uh, she's always wanted to work with Christian from El Nino and Sunny, and literally within a year she worked with both of them. Dude, that track the line line that line, gets its track is awesome. Yeah, yeah, it's really really cool. As soon as I remember Diego was like, "Yo, you think she'll do it?" I'm like, and I kind of told her the story about the whole El Nino situation not to be like chismoso and she's just like well you know it'd be cool to help and also like let me hear the song i'm like oh yeah the song duh and she just like fell in love with it i'm like cool but we were in ukraine so i had to record it in our apartment over there with one of these microphones and yeah it ended up working out great they used it and then made a video and then the pod song is really really cool um really eerie yeah really eerie but that's kind of the thing with with her you know or like in general like motivating each other to do a lot more stuff which is why like when i was like let's try like not it's kind of weird to make it a couple's record because it's not like some spirit box stuff you know because that was organic like they just wrote and then songs later it became what it became so there wasn't like the intention wasn't to like become like anyone else they just wanted to do their own thing so the stuff i write with her it's kind of like I'm like, if you like it, we'll work with it. And, you know, the styling, which is like kind of like how I write in general, which just just ripping off the Deftones. No, <laughs> just Deftones and uh, I don't know, something else. That's but, like a whole genre now. Just Deftones core. Dude, I and I'm like, I they're my favorite band, like one of my most favorite bands in the world. And when someone's like, yeah, dude, this band's like dope. They're kind of like Deftones. I'm like, don't you say that about the Deftones. Like. They don't sound like the deaf. Well, sometimes they do, but I'm trying to think of a band that I'm like, oh, they sound like the Deftones. There's not. I feel like back in the day, like remember that band Taproot came out. Oh I'm yeah. Like, I'm like, oh, they're a little Deftonesy. Taproot's got some some Deft. Who who was it that had a lot of? Uh... I mean, that's kind of the whole thing. It's like they have maybe the tuning, 
or the styling of a Deftones riff. I don't even know. Chevelle was kind of like Deftones meets Tool. Yeah. And then, uh, you know that band Far? Yeah. That's but that's pre. That's like a lot older. Yeah, weren't didn't the Deftones steal shit from Far? <laughs> I heard in an interview that someone in Deftones said if it wasn't for Far, Deftones wouldn't be a band. Yeah. So like they give credit, which is kind of like that's another cool thing is about learning about your influences, their influences. It's like what I never heard of that band. It's just like holy shit. It's like I didn't. It was around high school. I've always known about the police, but I didn't know about how Cop- how dope Copeland was. Oh, until I started like getting older, even post uh, deathcore era, and it's just like, oh yeah, like a lot of like de- deathcore drummers probably don't listen to the Police or really fuck. I could be wrong; they could <laughs> fuck with Copeland, but like, as soon as I heard like that was Abe Cunningham's ha- one of Abe Cunningham's top like favorite drummers, I started listening to more, and I'm like, oh shit, that hi hat work, that groove, and then even like with Pod, they're just like, man, just. Like, Wub had his own style, but, like, he pretty much just wanted to kind of be, like, like Copeland and Abe Cunningham. And I'm like, cool, that's, I could do that all day. <laughs> but still, it's a lot more, like, playing, adapting to a different mindset is, it's really, really crazy. Especially, like, having, not going a thousand miles an hour, too. Yeah. Like, I'm so used to playing hard that there's a lot of shit that's not hard. It's just a little bit more chill. Playing more, playing more dynamically. Yeah, dynamically. Like, like youth of the nation is not yolo it's a hip-hop beat yeah it's chill you know you're not rim shotting the whole time which i can't get i can't not do it but i've, I've learned to to try to not do it <laughs> do you guys you guys play to a click right uh i just got them to start to play to a click oh so they weren't wow no they haven't for a long time and i was just like when i when i had started playing with them and I was like, okay, I'll learn the, the the songs like the way they are on the record. And that's when he's like, Marcos is like, no, it's good that you learned them like that, but that's bad because we don't play, you know, Metallica doesn't play them like the record. They have like the live version. The live version. So I started doing my research. Um, another reason Art helped me too. He was just like, yeah, dude, like watch every, like every version you can on live. And then you start to realize similarities. And also Suicide did that. Yeah. We were good at like not playing it like the record, but. That's kind of like, that's kind of how all that, um, I forgot what I was getting to. About how you're kicking ass. No, how about like, kicking ass? No, no, you were you were talking about um, just learning the different versions of the song. Oh, yeah, with a click track. Click track, yeah. Yeah, and then that's when they're like, so do you know how to like play to a click? I'm like, oh, yeah. I'll put you guys on click real fast and like sit there. So they don't have any tracks or nothing. Nothing. They have, a, we have a dude named Luis who's in Tribal Seeds and he does backup vocals keys gotcha uh um drums and all that stuff but uh we started to like i i beat map the whole entire set out because and or not the whole set but most of the songs like suicide half the songs were on click and tracks and the other half were just straight go for it and but when we started playing to a click i can tell like the guys were like fuck it doesn't feel right it feels a lot faster and then we played some shows they're like dude are you sure you hit you hit the right click i'm like dude i hit the right one and then what they listen back to, like people's phones, like they realize, oh shit, like you were playing it exactly like the record, like Youth of the Nation, like we rehearsed it. And Sonny was even having a hard time. I was like, fuck, dude, I'm like Twista right now. Like, <laughs> but it was the rest of my life. <laughs> like, he started, like, I started putting them to work, but long term, I was kind of like, this works out. So when people 
dub the album version to your live version if we have a video guy any stuff new songs old songs uh, it works out so i'm kind of want we're kind of just trying to figure out how we're going to approach this year um i like half click track half um live for like the older songs live but getting the full production you know there's only one guitar player it yeah. would be cool to have it beefed up we can have sunny go in and like retract vocals um percussion could be all put in bass drops could be put in yeah you know the whole thing so like that's another attribute which i recommend for drummers out there is like kind of learn how to do everything so when you work with a band you're you're able to like bring in knowledge of uh, stuff like that and make things a lot easier of your iq and stuff like I, mean, I feel that's just so standard now like that's, that's what vlad from ginger said i was just like we were talking about drums and ukraine and i was just like a couple of our friends a couple other drummers from ukraine that i met they all have like a camera a recording setup they all track and i was like man a lot of you guys like all have recording abilities in ukraine like a lot of drummers he's like you must have this now this is normal yeah if you're a drummer that doesn't have this like you you don't you almost don't exist and it's like fuck and it's true it's like you got to learn how to do that and also have the the idea of doing that first in certain cases but it seems to be that's what it is now yeah like you have to step your game up you got to be able to be like if someone's like hey can you track on this you got to have the ability to do it or at least the resources to do it um or have you know like not everyone has a studio so you got to know where to go where to handle all that also mixing your own drums like you sending somebody something with your work on it you have to really make it impressive and editing and editing <laughs> that's, very time consuming oh yeah that's kind of where, where it all comes in but it also makes everything sound better yeah. at the end yeah well listen brother i mean uh is there anything going on in the future that you want to talk about or promote or things you want to tell the people about tell the people about um no just kind of just kind of chilling now i'm writing um if I do come out with anything, it'll probably be next year. Um, I'm trying to do a lot more art. So if anybody wants any artwork. Yeah, your, um, your art is incredible. Thank you. Yeah. I mean, I try um, to, to stay as active as possible. Um, just got an, a new iPad Pro. So now it's not a, like I'm old school. So it's usually like paintbrushes and all this junk that's just like adds up. But now I'm like to do it digitally. And um, yeah, I mean, I'm just going to just try to do anything i can this year um yeah uh aside from pod i play drums in another band called heaven's blade oh. with sarah taylor from youth code sings in it and fred sablon who's in deftones now plays bass in that um it's been a band for like four years but we really haven't done anything but there's a band camp <laughs> and yeah just kind of floating around and doing the thing well listen i i just Really happy you came on the show. This is like awesome, man. We've been buddies for a long time, and you know the people they they want to hear from you. So they want to know what what's up. And I, I appreciate you using this uh, this show as a platform to kind of just talk about your talk about your journey, man. Because it's it's really incredible, man. Yeah, stoked to uh, keep going and stoked to see what happens. Hell yeah, me too, man. It's be a good year. Absolutely. Thank you. Hell yeah. <laughs> Oh,
So you just heard Spoiled Rotten by Alex's other band, Heaven's Blade, that he mentioned right there on the outro. Yes, that song was about one minute long. You know, get it gets in, punches you square in the uh, in the taint, and it, and it leaves before it's worn out its welcome. Hope you enjoyed the song. Hope you enjoyed the conversation with Alex. I love Alex. He's a great guy. Uh, super talented. Uh, I don't know. He just, uh, he's a scene legend. That's what it is. That's what the scene legends do. They come in here, they kick ass, and I just wish him all the best in the world. And hopefully we can make that POD Bad Wolves tour happen, you know? I'll uh, cross my fingers, see see if it goes down in the streets. But uh, anyway, what's going on with me? I'm finally, you know, your boy's finally getting to watch some hoops, all right? Didn't watch no basketball in Europe because the games are coming on at 2 in the morning. I had no internet. And uh, the Knicks are looking good. Very good. Got a nice trade. Josh Hart. All right. Jalen Brunson's whooping ass. Julius Randle's whooping ass. We're looking good. All right. Don't be jealous. All right. Sorry, Brooklyn. It, it fell apart. Uh, <laughs> and then the Lakers were looking good. And now LeBron's hurt. So, I don't know. I don't know if they make the playoffs. It's going to be a rough one. But I think the the this stretch run is going to be really fun. been watching a lot of games on uh, on TV. And I'm, I'm, I'm enjoying it. So, I hope your team is doing well. And if... You don't like hoops. You don't like NBA. That's why I put this at the end. So you should have turned it off by now. So this is your own fault. You brought this on yourself. So keep it real. I'm going to keep kicking it. I love y'all. And Mama's out. Welcome to us talking about our podcast for a minute. What's the name of that podcast? That's Axe to Grind. Uh, and right now you're going to be getting a little a little taste of it, right down to the shaky microphone and all. <laughs> and my name's Bob. And my name's Patrick. And usually we're joined by Tom. Tom's the best. Tom has a real grown-up job that requires him to be at work. But we talk about decidedly not-so-grown-up things like... Hardcore music and things that people that like hardcore music tend to like. So that could be the latest shows, uh, revisiting classic material, talking about the new classics, um, all the little dorm room nonsense that you imagine from a niche music podcast that, that you either love, want to love, or hate. Yeah, imagine all the emotions that you have towards a genre that, that uh, has impacted your life. Uh, and then condense them down to an hour to two hours a week. So triangulate your speakers. Think about jumping off the bed, singing along, dancing like an idiot, and listen to Axe Grind Podcast. <laughs>